When most people open up the Bible, the first question they're asking is, well, what does this mean for me today? But the better question is to ask, well, what did it mean for them then? And once we understand that, now we can apply that for us today. And in order to understand what it meant for them then, we need to understand the cultural landscape of their world. What was life like for them? Because the writers of the Bible are keying in on that, and that in turn will help us to understand what it means for us. Hey, welcome to the teaching series. I'm Brad Gray and I'm thrilled you're tuning in. You know, the Bible can be difficult to understand and typically the confusion occurs when we try to read the Bible devoid of its context. Context is everything and yet the vast majority of people have never been taught how to engage the Bible in its original context of history, geography, cultural backgrounds and more. At Walking the Text, we create resources to help people understand the Bible in its original context so that they can learn, love, and live it out every day. This podcast is the audio version of our video-based series that you can find at walkingthetext.com or on our YouTube channel at Walking the Text. As you grow in your understanding of biblical context, you'll read the Bible with greater clarity and confidence than ever before. With that in mind, let's jump into our episode. In 2007, I got to participate in a cross-cultural immersion trip with a number of friends. It was through the seminary that I was attending, and we ended up going to Kenya. And it was an amazing trip to be able to experience another culture and all the facets of it. And everywhere we went, it was vastly different than the experience that I have here in the United States. Uh, Whether it is walking through the streets and just interacting with the people, or seeing what the kids were up to and what their daily lives were like, uh, to walking through the Kibera slums and seeing how the poorest of poor lived, to going into a market area where all of these items were that you could purchase, or even just walking through the streets getting ingredients to make a meal, everything about the experience in Kenya was vastly different than what I'd ever experienced before. Uh, What they wore was different, the music they listened to, just the way the government was run, everything was different. And one of the things that happens when you go into a different culture and everything is different, we have a phrase that we use of what most people experience and it's culture shock because everything is so radically different. That's exactly what happens when we come to the biblical text is that in many ways we are supposed to experience culture shock Because the world of the Bible, at least for those of us living here in the West, is radically different than our daily experiences. And so as we are looking at how do we study the text in context, take the very Word of God and place it in its context, there are all of these different lenses with which we want to look through in order to understand what is going on in the Bible. And in episode one of this mini-series, we looked at the historical, and now in this episode, we are looking at the cultural. Because we want to make sure that as we come to the biblical text, 
we're not looking through a 21st century Western lens. Again, for those of us who live in the States, and I know many of you are watching this all over the world. So for those of you who are maybe in an African context where you're actually watching this in the Middle East, you go, no, this is my culture. But for the rest of us, the world of the Bible is very different than the world that we currently live in. And so we want to make sure that we're looking at things through a cultural lens and looking at what was it like for them in their day. And as we talked in our last episode, this is an illustrated version, if you will, of our free ebook, The Number One Mistake Most Everyone Makes Reading the Bible, where in the cultural section, I give a number of examples around daily life. What is village life like? Um, Around things like honor and shame, like these values of a culture. How did they understand honor and shame versus how we understand honor and shame? Uh, We explore the idea of rabbinical teaching practices and a host of other things. And what I wanna do in this episode is I wanna give you a different example of the importance of understanding a cultural connection as you are reading the biblical text. And so I wanna take you to Ephesians chapter five, verses six and following. And let me just read this for us. See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for you were once darkness. Okay, so the apostle Paul is writing to the people of Ephesus, and he's really honing in here on this contrast between darkness and light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Okay, so Paul is writing this to the people of Ephesus. And it's important to keep this in mind because the city of Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the entire Roman Empire, behind Rome, Alexandria, and then what we call Syrian Antioch or Antioch on the Orontes. And then you have Ephesus, a minimum of 250,000 people. Like outside of Rome, this is like a Roman Roman city in the time that Paul is addressing his audience, the Ephesians, where Paul has spent three years during his third missionary journey. So Paul understands the city well. It's the city that he resided in the longest during any of his missionary journeys. And he is writing this letter to them. Now, When you look at kind of the the look and the makeup of Ephesus, uh, here's a really great photo running down one of the major roads and a really great artist rendering of what this very road would have looked like back in the days of Paul. You can see that this is a monster city. You can see the columns. You can see the various things that are connected to a city life. We're in a city center right now. Now, one of the questions becomes is that back in the ancient world, especially during the time of Paul writing the letter of Ephesians, uh, what was life like in the city 
of Ephesus. Well, as you can imagine, it's a bustling city. There's a lot of people. But one of the things that was a problem within the city of Ephesus and any other major Roman city for that matter was crime as well as fires. Because if a fire broke out, it would just spread throughout the city. And especially when you're on the outskirts of the city where people live, most of the people lived in homes that were constructed of wood. And oftentimes in a city of this size where everything is kind of on top of each other, if a fire breaks out in one building or in one housing unit, it's going to spread rapidly. So this was also true in the city of Rome. And so there was something that was created called the Vigiles Urbani. So I know that it looks like Vigiles, but in ancient Latin, there is no V sound. It is a W sound called the Vigiles Urbani. And it literally means watchman of the city. And this idea and this group of the Vigiles Urbani was created by Caesar Augustus. And the idea that they were the watchmen of the city meant that they were actually patrolling the city of Rome at night and they doubled as a firefighting force as well as a local police because they didn't have what we would see as like a local police back in the days of ancient Rome. Rome. And so when somebody was, you know, robbed in some way, it wasn't like they had detectives that were going out and trying to figure out who did that. Um, If somebody was murdered, it wasn't like they had detectives going, okay, well, let's figure out all the pieces and how did this come together? They didn't have that. And so crime was an issue in big cities as well as fires. And so when Caesar Augustus created the Wigiles Urbani, it was the idea that during the night they would patrol the city of Rome. And not only are they on the lookout if any fires were to break out, but specifically when there isn't a fire, they are carrying torches through the city at night in order to snuff out any crime that may be going on in the side alleys. Because here's the thing about a city of Rome, like Rome, is that in the morning, the markets would have to be fresh with fruits and vegetables and meat, fish, bread, etc. And because they didn't have refrigeration in the ancient world, it was during the night that everything was being restocked in the markets. And so in a bustling city like Rome of a million people, you don't have carts typically going through the streets during the day because that just clogs the pathways for everybody walking. But the moment that everybody is going home for the night, there is still quite a bustling going on in the city, but it is people who are taking carts through the city. And you've got people who are stumbling out of the pubs that are all over the city. And so there's still a lot going on during the middle of the night. And so the Wigiles are the ones who are walking through, making sure that everyone is doing what they should be doing through the streets. And especially... If anybody has to go from one part of the city to the other part of the city during the night, they would almost always go in a group or in a caravan of some way because it was dangerous to go out 
alone. But if you did get caught out alone, you would be looking for the Wigales that are walking through the city with their lights in order to come alongside of them and walk with them along the post of which they're going through the city in order to get to where you need to go. Now, this is true of Rome, and because the Roman Empire functioned in a way where the values of the society and of the culture were implemented in all of the major cities. And so, one of the jokes that we have is that Rome kind of made itself McRome. If you have a McDonald's in Michigan, it's the same in California, the same in Arkansas, and even when you go other parts of the world, you go, I am in a McDonald's. Exactly. This is what the Roman Empire did in all of its major cities in order to stamp this consistency throughout the empire so that when you traveled, you felt as if you were at home regardless of whatever city you went to. So we do have inscriptions and evidence that the Wigales Urbani are part of other Roman cities. We don't have that for Ephesus, but almost certainly this is happening in Ephesus. So when you have this image in mind, let's look back again at what Paul writes in Ephesians and listen to this with that cultural context in mind. Paul says, therefore, do not become partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth as you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret." But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Paul is instructing followers of Jesus to not participate in the deeds of darkness, but that you have been rescued and redeemed. You participate now in the light. Have noble character. Do not be deceitful. Do not harm people. Do not do the things that you used to do when you were part of darkness, but now that you have been rescued and you understand the ways of Jesus and the ways of God, live according to those things. And as you do so, you set an example for other people. And they look at you and go, man, that is someone that I want to be like. And not only that, because they are a person of honorable character, then I know that I can align myself with those people. And there is a sense of comfort that people have in aligning themselves with you because you have demonstrated that you are a person of the light. It's as if you are walking through the streets and people are coming and joining you because you are a place of comfort for them. They are safe around you. And not only that, Paul says that because you are light, expose the deeds of darkness. See what is going on and what is wrong and bring a positive response to those negative things. 
Now, if you don't understand Wigiles Urbani, then we just kind of make maybe some abstract connections around the difference between light and darkness. But for the people of Ephesus, they understood what darkness and light looked like, especially during the night through their major city. And Paul used that cultural illustration to speak a truth on how they were supposed to live as followers of Jesus. Come on now, isn't that amazing? And that is all connected to the Wigiles Urbani. So there's a prime example of how the cultural context changes your understanding of what you are reading. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, okay, how in the world am I going to find about find out about the Wigiles Urbani? Uh, I understand that you may have that reaction. And this is one of the things that we do in the teaching series is that we try to bring you illustrations and examples that you may or may not find on your own. But that doesn't mean that you can't figure out what's going on from a cultural perspective. And that's one of the things that we have inside the ebook are all of these really great resources that when you are reading a passage, go consult that resource and they give you the cultural connections for you so that you can then better understand and engage the biblical text. So when it comes to the cultural side, the cultural lens, these are the questions we want to be asking, or at least some of the questions we want to be asking. Is this a Jewish context, a Roman context, Egyptian context, Babylonian context? Essentially, what context are we dealing with? Because in this passage that we looked at today, it was a Roman context. Uh, how is the context, and again, Jewish, Roman, etc., impacting the story? What cultural clues are given explicitly in the passage? Sometimes the text is very explicit. Pay attention to this cultural thing. Sometimes the author goes out of their way to even explain a cultural thing. What cultural aspects are sitting below the surface? So it's not overt. It's more implicit. And then we have how are values such as honor and shame influencing the story? And this is something we give an example in the ebook around honor and shame. But it's just looking at the cultural aspects of life. How are these things influencing the story that we're looking at? And then the last question here, what assumptions are we making? Huge question. Based on our own cultural lenses that may or may not be accurate in the story. It's like when we come to the text and we're looking at it, we start making all of these interpretations. And what we have to do is pause in that moment and going, am I laying over the text a 21st century Western lens or am I allowing what's going on, in this case, the first century world to inform how I am understanding this passage? And when you do that and you start looking at it through a cultural perspective, you see things differently and it enables you to interpret the text more faithfully in connection to how the first audience heard it. So friends, there you go. The cultural lens, we always want to look at it from a cultural perspective as we seek to read the Bible in its original context. And so I hope that this is helpful to you. I hope that this is enjoyable to you. And as you continue to engage the text, as you continue to engage the ebook, as always, may you walk out the text well in your life.